0: And then one night, uh, my roommate and I were studying for, I think it was like a biology exam, and uh, I was walking out in the in the hallway of my dorm, and I was just about to go fill up my plastic water bottle, and I was like, well, what if we just paid people to recycle this? And I went back into my room, told my roommate, hey, like this is kind of a cool idea, and we talked about it for the next 30 minutes, talking about incentivizing people to recycle. Um, and then he's like, all right, let's do it. One, two.
1: Hey guys, and welcome to The Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, how college roommates unexpectedly found their way into a pitch competition that turned into a recycling business that is now servicing places like the Washington Nationals, Philadelphia Eagles, and Inter-Miami Soccer Club. (music) Building a business is hard, but building a business around recycling is even harder. The reason being, recycling is something extra that people have to do. It strays from the norm. Most people want the easiest, most convenient choice, And that is why so many plastic bottles and aluminum cans find their way into our landfills. One freshman at the University of Miami set out to change all of this when he noticed the lack of recycling on campus. Anwar Khan grew up in Omaha, Nebraska and was always interested in the environment. When it came time to start applying to colleges, he did the Common App process where he filled in a lot of information and applied to a bunch of different schools. And on the last day of regular admission, He saw the University of Miami and thought, ah, this might be cool. And it also didn't have an extra essay which appealed to him. So he applied thinking that there was no way he'd ever go there. He did the exact opposite and majored in environmental science at the U. Maybe it was chance, maybe it was luck, but Anwar's decision to attend the U is now seen as incredibly valuable for an entire industry. Freshman year, Anwar noticed the lack of recycling on campus at Miami. What Anwar realized was recycling was adding an element to people's waste habits and people weren't going to do something extra without being rewarded for doing it. Think back to when you had to do extra chores when you were a kid or when you had to do that extra credit assignment to boost your grade. You didn't do these things to receive nothing in return. You did them because of the reward that waited for you once they were complete. With this in mind, Anwar and his team created a software that would do just that. A software that would reward users for recycling everyday items like plastic bottles and aluminum cans. Anwar and his friends created what is now known as Cycle Technology, a company that is working to transform the way fans interact with sustainability. The company uses a reverse vending machine and a connecting app to increase recycling levels in large event gatherings. You may be asking... What is a reverse vending machine? And I asked the same question when I first met Anwar.
0: Yeah, so I guess to explain what a reverse vending machine, so I'll back up. I'll say, what is a regular vending machine, right? You put money in, you get a bottle out. If you reverse it, you put a bottle in, you get a reward out. So typically how this works at our some of our stadium uh, programs or stadium activations is folks come up, they insert as many plastic bottles or aluminum cans as they want. The machine then scans that, ensures that so it has a uh, laser refractive index to say, hey, is this PET plastic? Is this the number one uh, plastic that we're looking for? It has uh, sensors to determine if it's aluminum. And then it also senses... If it is contaminated, so if it's a full container or if it's not actually a uh, you know beverage container, then it won't take it in. So if it passes all those checks in the um, you know almost a millisecond, it'll take it back, sort that recyclable into either plastic or aluminum, and crush it on the way down to make it uh, much easier for operations folks and just make that all that process much more simpler on the user side. They insert as many containers as they want. They just click done on the screen. A QR code comes up on the screen and they scan that with their, uh, their camera function, like any other smartphone. And then that takes them to a website where they put in their information. They see instantly uh, what they won. So we do uh, a lot of randomized rewards at these stadiums. So uh, at the inter Miami stadium, you know, someone wins a inter Miami Jersey every single game or at the national stadium uh, someone wins a pair of Nats tickets to a future game or at the Philadelphia Eagles, we do um, it's signed merchandise. So you get a signed football, signed helmet, uh, et cetera. Huh. So yeah, so that's the type of rewards uh, we offer in those programs. And we really just want to make it really worth it for the folks to to come and participate and recycle. Um, and we partner with some of the the beverage companies to uh, make those programs possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, That's really cool. So so basically, I'm, I come up to the machine. You know, I have a bottle. I, I stick the bottle in the machine. It, it scans it, it. It verifies that it's not contaminated. That it's that it's an actual bottle. And then it crushes it. And does it does it matter if it's one bottle or, or if you're you're putting in multiple bottles or based on the reward you get or does everyone kind of get the same reward just based on if you put anything in? It?
0: Yeah. So. Uh... I, the machine can take as many as you would put it in there. I mean, it has a 900 container capacity. So unless you have 900 containers on you, then it'll take them all in there. And then every single container acts as like a, a ticket, if you will, or an extra, uh, I guess, dice roll, you could say, uh, for that, that big prize. And everyone wins something. So um, the more containers you put in, the higher likelihood that you have to, to win that bigger prize.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I, I think in today's day and age, you have to, you know, incentivize people to do things. Why are you going to do something extra if you're not going to get a benefit out of it? Um, I mean, the short answer to that would be, you know, you do it because you have passion for the environment. You, you have passion for for the greater future. Um, but I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, most people, I, mean, I don't want to sound negative, but, but most people just aren't like that. I mean, I remember growing up, we would have a recycling bin at my house and you'd have water bottles. And I mean, you do these things, but. I mean, all I knew was this was just a bin.
0: You hit it right on the head. So the social gamification, the social proof uh, aspect of it is actually really important. Like you said, you know, folks go about there every day, and unless unless they have maybe a you know concerted environmental you know effort within them, most of the time, or or, or an incentive, most of the time people won't do it. Right. However, what we've what we've seen is actually interesting at some of these stadiums is when folks see other people participating in the recycling, they almost, they're like, Ooh, like, that's kind of cool. Maybe I should be, you know, I should be participating too. And we'd have, you know, lines of people, you know, 20 people deep, uh, you know, wanting to participate in the recycling rewards program because they saw other people doing it. So they're like, Oh, maybe I should do it. Maybe if that's for the, you know, the, the actual reward piece, or just because like, Hey, if that person's doing it, maybe I should be doing it too. Um, so that's another really key key part of, uh, you know, part of the the sauce that we try to bring in on the reward side is the social gamification side and like showing people, hey, this person had 200 containers this month or this person had 100. And t- being able to track that is, is uh, I think, really important.
1: Touching on what you said, I mean, competition is also a big driver, right? And, yeah. and you're kind of getting getting into. So if I'm competing with, let's say me and you are competing and I'm like, Anwar has 20 more bottles than me this month, then... I mean, I, I've got to get those numbers up. I mean, that's, totally. just how, that's just how humans are. So I guess what y'all are doing is you're kind of importing people in these locations and then just kind of showing them and, and having people look and say, oh, uh, what are these people doing? But really, they're just employees of yours. Is that kind of how this works? Or what? No,
0: no. I mean, it's, it. you know, folks, uh, folks get interested by it, right? Because. Inherently, it's just this—you know, uh, almost like a billboard. And then you you see it, and you're like, "Oh, what is that?" And you see one person doing it, just kind of, I guess, playing with it and putting it in their containers. And other people are like, "Oh, what what is that?" Um, and we do a lot of we do a lot of promotion uh, at these stadiums. Um, you know, going up on the the jumbotron saying, "Hey, you know, if you have a drink container, go recycle your can for a chance to win uh, X, Y, Z prizes." And we see, you know, we have some really actually cool data around, you know, what incentives really move people. Right, Uh, to recycle and like based off of you know there we did a live hit uh at at the stadium or we did a different promotion where we said hey um if we recycle 500 containers in these next two games everyone gets four dollars off their beer how did that incentivize the amount of uh action around recycling so we have some really cool data around what actually gets people to move Um, and the promotion kind of is the is the thing that allows us to run some of those in these
1: in this infrastructure i mean you're talking about you know how it scans and then you know how it crushes and and goes in the bottom and it's kind of holding and you have a 900 um, can or bottle capacity so is there any kind of tracking technology in there that shows when these bins you know i'll call them bins when when they're actually filled i mean so um, they're
0: all IoT enabled. So every single time uh, the bins get full, then we set or the system sends a text to the folks who are whoever's doing the servicing at that venue to say, hey, RVM, you know, one is full or RVM on the east side of the stadium is full. Come empty this container. Um, and we, and that's really cool because you see traditional waste management, right? You have the service folks walking around to every single single stream bin to check, hey, is this full? Is it not? And then maybe if it's not full or some of these other bins are not full on the single stream side, then you're almost wasting the time of of the service person who's going to go do that uh, because then they have to come around later. So uh, from that aspect, you're almost saving time on their operations because you know distinctly, hey, this is when it's full, come come empty. It.
1: That was something I was about to ask too, is you know the logistics behind these machines, I mean, you, you're tracking it, you know, when it's full, but you know, when it's full, what happens? So, I mean, I think that's genius to have, I mean, you have the service providers at the stadium. Do you keep a running total of how many bottles or units that have been um, recycled in, in, I guess? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'd have to look back at what they are right now, but um, yeah, we, we typically collect a few thousand uh, containers every single um, every single I guess season you could say we've we actually just got off the the ground um, at our baseball stadium on the last uh, like third of the season uh, so some of the some of our numbers are are still coming through as this is our first year kind of uh, operating but right like at the University of Miami we collected like 25,000 containers in a year um, some of these stadiums like I said we get you know a few few thousand um, every single season depending on uh, obviously when we started but yeah, we've got some good baseline data on like, um, you know, how many containers we've done. And something that's really cool in the data piece uh, that we do is um, the barcode scanner within the machine actually can say, hey, is this, uh, you know, for example, a Coca-Cola, is it a Pepsi, is it a Dr. Pepper can, or is it a Bud Light, or is it a Heineken, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, you can tell what what type of container actually is in there. And then uh, you can determine, hey, um, are folks 25 to 35 recycling a certain container more than others hey how can we improve messaging around recycling for this certain product um, so that's really something that's uh, we we try to communicate and that's unique about us
1: so yeah i mean let's get right into it so so you you go to Umer- university of miami and you just start this company right you, you see a problem and you're like hey well, let's start let's start this company so how did that come about
0: yeah so we, uh, my roommate and I, uh, were actually and another one of our co-founders. were in a consulting club, um, our freshman year at the U and, uh, in this consulting club, they, we had a meeting, uh, sometime in fall, my freshman year. And they said, Hey, you know, we need a group from the club to go pitch at this pitch competition. Does anyone really have an idea? And when we had initially heard about it, we were like, yeah, I don't, don't really know if you know, that's something we're interested in, whatever. And then one night, uh, my roommate and I were studying for I think it was like a biology exam, and uh, I was walking out in the in the in the hallway of my dorm, and I was just look, about to go fill up my plastic water bottle, and with at the, with a water fountain in the in the dorm hallway, and I was like just like was thinking well, what if we just paid people to recycle this? And I went back into my room, told my roommate, hey, like this is kind of a cool idea. And we talked about it for the next 30 minutes, talking about incentivizing people to recycle. Um, and then he's like, all right, let's do it. So we uh, pitched that competition. Uh, there was four of us uh, originally in that group. And then we had gotten third, um, out of all of the groups in this pitch competition, you know, a young freshmen, really shoddy pitch deck, you know, <laughs> didn't really have any leg like, to stand on. Um, we did well in that competition. And then as we kept going and doing more of these pitch competitions, the university really, uh, was supportive of us, university of Miami. And they said, Hey, you know, we really like you guys idea. You're young. Um, so that was kind of how it initially got started. And then, uh. Kind of the, and then more on the problem side, we had saw at the University of Miami. Obviously, just Florida in general, the recycling rates uh, weren't as high. But we'd see on campus the both the recycling bins and the trash bins. Um, and something that we saw was every t- single time, say a service uh, worker came to empty those bins, they would take everything that was in the recycling and put it in the trash. So we thought, wow, that seems kind of broken. Now, come later on down the road, we'd come to understand that that's how. Uh, things were, were getting sorted in the background but that was the original idea that that kind of came um between that original group our, our freshman year so
1: when people think of recycling they just think of the blue bins right the blue bins right. with, with the recycling logo on it and let's just throw some bottles in it and someone's gonna pick it up and and who knows what who knows what happens to it um you know the college i went to it, it kind of blew my mind the first couple years i was there I, I kept saying why is there no recycling bins anywhere there's no recycling infrastructure or anything on campus. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, things have changed, but I was always like, why, why is there, there nothing here? Um, and I think that as years come and, and, and you know, progress, that more schools are, are starting to see that. And I think, I mean, what y'all are doing um, is incredible and it's really, it's really going to help out a lot. I'm not just Not just in Miami, but in the United States in general. And hopefully, even even broader than that. So yeah. So you start this company, and um, just it sounds like just kind of out of the blue. I mean, I mean, they just yeah. were looking for somebody, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we kind of just fell into the idea, and then um, I guess when it really started to to get serious, was when we won a couple of pitch competitions, we said, all right, well, you know, we won a couple of these. Maybe we should make this an actual business. So, uh, you know, created the the company. And then we raised a little bit of money to uh, develop our own mobile software that would actually reward folks for recycling um, at the reverse vending machines that we purchased. So we work with a manufacturer out of Connecticut um, named InVipco. So we said, hey, you know, let's take this pre-existing solution, which is reverse vending machines in bottle deposit states, right? The 10 bottle deposit states that you see on any plastic water bottle, aluminum can. Um, right. And then we said, instead of giving you know, them a nickel or a dime for it, let's give them some sort of mobile digital reward that'll uh, maybe incentivize them a little bit more than that nickel or dime, right? We live in a cashless society, uh, nickel or dime doesn't go as far as it used to with, with most people. So uh, that was kind of the original pilot program at the University of Miami, uh, doing that with students, staff, et cetera.
1: I mean, you talked a little bit about it in the beginning of your freshman at the University of Miami and and your roommate, correct, is is one of the people that kind of co-founded this with you. Who else is a part of the team? And um, also, you know, is this a classic kind of, you know, create this idea and then drop out of college like a Steve Jobs, uh, uh, Bill Gates type situation or or what?
0: (laughs) No, no. So we all finished school. Uh, we we did it all the way through school. So there was five original co-founders. Uh, three of us have have continued on um, with it full time. So uh, we all finished college, and then uh, we recently all graduated. we were all graduated as of uh, last December. So almost coming up on a year now. Um, and that's really when uh, after this. Earlier this year, that's when things really started to pick up. We got our first couple uh, stadium contracts, so it was really nice uh, on the timing side. We were all able to finish school and then and then work on this.
1: I mean, I guess that's hard, right? I mean, you're, I mean, you have the idea of freshman year. You're in the pitch competitions, and you're probably gaining traction by doing all these things. And you're like, oh, I got to go to chemistry. Oh, I've got to go to. Yeah. That that's that's pretty funny to think about. Uh, What is the University of Miami's role in cycle?
0: I can't say enough good things about uh, the University of Miami and how they kind of helped us uh, develop our solution and helping us out, you know, sending us to pitch competitions, um, really promoting us uh, on campus through specifically the University of Miami business school. Um, We had a few uh, mentors there uh, that were, you know, vice dean that was really supportive of us. Um, we actually, so they were our, like I mentioned, they were the the spot that we had our first RVM at. Um, We launched it. We actually, funny enough, so we launched our first machine in March of 2020, like right before uh, right. the spring break was about to happen. We brought on the machine. And we were super pumped. We were going to have, you know, like a a launch party and everything. And then no one came back from spring break. So, uh, because of COVID, obviously. And then um, what we did after that is we launched it that following uh, fall. And we did that program for about uh, a year or so. So, whether it was students, staff, uh, even folks from the Coral Gables community, uh, everyone kind of, um, you know, rallied around it and and was excited about it. Uh, We had, I think it was our top fifty users during that time recycled 270, 272 containers uh per those top fifty users. So it kind of, you know, goes to show that the people were excited about it and they they would come back.
1: Yeah, I think something we definitely share is having the college experience while COVID is kind of happening. Yeah, that's that's crazy that, that y'all <laughs> that y'all were launching, um, launching your service and your product and then right at that time that, that COVID happened. So I mean I guess I guess that kind of answers a question I was going to ask, and and that is, you know, throughout this whole process. I mean, I mean, what kind of challenges have you had?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, aside from like starting the business when we were freshmen, not really knowing anything about business or or software or recycling for that matter, or like hardware. Um, it's all been, I guess, a big you know, it's been a big learning experience for all of us. Of course, um, you know, COVID was obviously tough because our whole strategy was focused around college campuses. And then we had the university of Miami, but we'd call their schools and be like, Hey, we're really excited about this. We really want to do it. And they'd be like, we don't even know if we're going to be a school, you know, coming up, coming up next semester. So, um, that was kind of a, that was a big, uh, step for us. Um, and then really just, I think the biggest thing is aside from learning kind of all the technical knowledge around, you know, building software and understanding what what actually is going to make a uh, a consumer come and participate in this. I think the biggest thing was just, you know, hustling, keep like hustling on until you get that first real big contract and just having the, uh you know, the wherewithal as a team to keep going until you get, get that first customer, right? First customer is always the hardest. So that was uh, probably the the hardest thing around uh, just the whole the whole process. So
1: In COVID, I mean, so many businesses went out of business, right? And so many businesses had to lay off, However many people and and cut percentages of their of their employees, you know, just to get by. So, yeah, that's that, that's pretty cool that you can say, yeah, uh, yeah, we we started during COVID. Right. <laughs> I I'd never heard of a reverse vending machine um, until I kind of came across Cycle and in the stuff that you're doing, and through research, I mean, I got into all the all of the initiatives and stuff in Europe and and how Europe has kind of prioritized these reverse vending machines and. What can you say on that? I mean, what what is what is Europe doing that's kind of different from the U.S.? And is that is is what Europe's doing kind of like a model of what you're trying to develop in the U.S.?
0: Yeah. So uh, the reverse vendor machine actually originated in Europe around, I want to say, about 60 years ago. Uh, that the first reverse vendor machine, I believe, uh, was built in Germany, if if I'm correct. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where this whole idea started. Um and what Europe has done, um, if you look at uh, bottle deposits in the U.S., that is mapped off of what's called a deposit return scheme um, in, in Europe around the EU. Um, and that, it's the whole same idea. Is said, hey, you know, every single time a consumer buys a, a can or a bottle in this state or in this jurisdiction, there's going to be a tax on it. And that tax can be redeemable when they bring it back. Um, so reverse vending machines are really commonplace, and you know you'll see them in grocery stores, retailers, uh, sometimes bottle depots. They'll have these out in their city where you can come up and, and get rewards from that. So Europe has really led the way in terms of that deposit return scheme model. Um, there's actually going to be, I think, you know, it's it's around five years from now there will be an additional uh, twelve to thirteen countries in Europe that are going to be you know adopting this deposit return. Um, you know, solution. You got countries like Scotland, Ireland, Malta, who recently just launched their uh, deposit return scheme in the past couple of weeks here. So uh, you see Europe uh, really at the the forefront in adopting this um, this legislation that then allows for this market to actually be a thing, right? Because a part of I think an important part of the that DRS legislation is it says, hey. Every single time someone, you know, recycles or, or brings it back, we have to give some incentives back to the retailer or to the store that is going to be hosting this machine. So giving them that handling fee, which is, you know, a couple cents or whatever it is, it depends on the legislation in that country um, and being able to give them that to incentivize them to participate in it too. So um, I believe the first bottle bill in the United States was adopted in 19, not like 1970s. Um, and then from there, there's been nine other states that have adopted it. Uh, so, you know, I think Europe d- has done it really well. And Australia has has some uh, DRS uh, legislation going there. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the United States kind of reacts to that. Good thing, I think, for, for us and something that we take a lot of pride in as Cycle is being able to create recycling reward solutions recycling reward solutions in non-deposit states, right? In states that don't have that bottle bill legislation or don't have the legislation that you have to bring back that nickel or dime. Um, so that's something that we really see to be kind of our, our, our niche and um, something that, you know, we want to keep uh, gunning for.
1: You know, through through my research into the Europe market and kind of some of those companies and brands and what they're doing, you know, I came across, and I think one of the first um, questions I asked you when we were kind of interacting on LinkedIn was, you know, do y'all have a, a product or, or any anything that can take multiple um, units at one time? Your your reverse vending machines, you know, you put one bottle in at a time, but it looks like some companies, especially in Europe, have these multi-unit at a time where you can take, let's say, your whole bin, your whole recycling bin, and then put that in. So um, I, is that something that, you know, is, is the future for you? Are you just like, no, we're not going to do that? Or, or
0: think you've seen over the past i think it was over the past like five years three to five years you've seen some of these uh reverse vending machine manufacturers adopt the uh the single load where you can kind of just toss your whole bin in there uh so our our manufacturer that that we work with they ha- they have that capability they have that machine uh for our sort of use case probably wouldn't make a ton of sense to do that in like a, a stadium right. um so because these things are like the size of a small gas station, almost right. So um, it wouldn't really make sense to to put them in the venues that that we have. But um, really, right. So we're the we're the software solution behind it. So you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to access uh, some of those machines and some of those markets where you have these larger, um, you know, these larger machines and all this infrastructure built behind it, and be able to run our rewards um, in some of those markets. So. Yeah, hopefully hopefully in the future we'll be able to interact with with some of those.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I didn't know that they were that large. Um, yeah. The pieces of infrastructure that large. But, yeah, I mean, that that makes total sense. You know, with with the stadiums and your kind of strategy, um, as I've seen, I mean, you, you've done some pretty cool things, and you, you've gotten contracts with, you know, the Washington Nationals, the Philadelphia Eagles, is it Inter-Miami, the, the, yep. the soccer team, um, and obviously University of Miami – I mean that that's incredible. I mean how do you go about, you know, getting those strategic partnerships and kind of growing those those connections?
0: Yeah, um of course it it started with uh, the University of Miami and then uh we really just kind of pressed on the the narrative of really wanting to work with with, you know, beverage companies and then really wanting to enter the stadium space. Um my co-founder uh Connor it, it was right after we launched at the University of Miami wrote this great white paper around this whole thesis around stadiums. Um, so a big line that we we use is while only 13% of Americans say they follow science, 61% identify as sports fans. So what we said is how can we take something which is recycling and put it in something that, you know, Americans already love and something that they should be doing, right? And really bringing it center stage so they can understand uh, the importance of recycling. Um, so we saw this big opportunity where there was a high volume of single use containers, um, a lot of beverage companies that are already you know either sponsors or distributing in these stadiums um, and then a big push around sustainability and wanting to uh, create programs that incentivize people to recycle and participate with different types of uh, beverage brands for that uh green goal um and initiative so that was the opportunity that we saw and then we just kind of uh you know had enough made enough phone calls to let you know have someone. Uh, give us our first shot and um, once we did it, it was kind of a proof of concept and we were able to get a couple more so that's kind of how we got here
1: is your team are you or are, are you contacting like as many as many stadiums as possible or do you have like a specific niche that you're trying to hit or what what spaces are you really trying to hit because I mean you, you've hit at this point the NFL the MLB um, you've hit um, NCAA, MLS so you're very diverse in, in the different sports <laughs> applications. So, so I guess all that to say, you know, are you are you kind of targeting a specific area in in uh, the U.S.?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, I guess, within the U.S., you know, we're excited to, to work with any stadium or venue for that matter, any concert venue. Um, some of these uh, stadiums are dual purpose, so that actually works out really well. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's anywhere in the United States where there's a stadium venue or concerts or pro sports games. Uh, where that's kind of where we want to be um and that's where we've seen our success so
1: I mean, we've kind of touched on it a little bit with the multi um, multi unit infrastructure and and kind of that strategy as of now, I mean what is your strategy for cycle and you know where do you want to go in the future um like what do you really see growth wise and and what cycle can become
0: yeah, so I think uh besides you know, speaking on the the stadium and, and placements there, I think the next uh, evolution of where we want to uh, put our resources is really understanding the data piece, um, and what that means is both on the you know the consumer side as well as the actual uh, recycling and tra- uh, tracking that. So. If you look at not only the consumer side, what we, you know, what we already kind of have leaned into is being able to tell, hey, you know, in these units where folks are interacting at these venues, um, we can determine, hey, you know, folks are recycling uh, this type of product at a thirty percent higher rate than this product, and those people doing that are in this age demographic, right? So, and then giving that back to um, the beverage company, say, hey, how can we help you guys improve your sustainability messaging? Leaning into the consumer side and understanding what moves them and how can we understand, um, you know, what products are actually, uh, and sustainability, you know, marketing, uh, strategies are actually working. And then on the actual recycling side, you see a lot of legislation coming through right now around extended producer responsibility. Uh, meaning, you know, the extended producer responsibility means putting the onus on some of the, you know, manufacturers, not only of beverage containers, but of any type of product that is recyclable and saying, Hey, you know, the state or whatever government governmental body that is doing this, we're going to put the onus on you guys and work with you guys to you know put money back in or put money more resources back into programs that are co- going to collect uh, these uh, materials so what what we think is that there is a gap between how much of certain products are being recycled and then being able to communicate that back to uh, the companies that are producing them. And then from there, communicating that to the actual governmental bodies that are regulating these things. So we want to be able to track that um, and be able to really show and, and tell the consumer, hey, you know, that Pepsi bottle that you recycled at uh, X venue is now being turned into pellets in, you know, Virginia. And then that that those pellets got turned into a new bottle in, you know, DC or whatever it is, and being able to communicate that back. So tracking the whole life cycle uh, and closing the loop, if you will, of uh, beverage containers, both on the consumer side and on the, uh, you know, on the material side, I think that's where we really want to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty fascinating. I didn't really think about, I mean, all the data that you can collect with the piece of infrastructure that you're using. I mean that's i mean i'm I'm guessing beverage companies are 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 very uh, interested in you know obtaining that data and having as much data as possible so that they can advertise and and hit campaigns as strong as they can so yeah that's that's incredible you know the next thing i I would kind of get into and i mean you've touched on it a little bit um when we talked about Europe and their policy and and all of those things. The government body um, in the U.S. I mean, you have different legislation in every in every state, you know, every city. I mean, it's so different and it differs so much. And I think that Europe. I mean, I was talking to um, a turf recycling company out of Denmark not too long ago, and just talking to them about the different laws in in Denmark or, or Europe compared to the U.S. And it, it's just crazy how much. A place like Denmark prioritizes sustainable living and, and prioritizes greener uh, businesses. The government, in in your view, and in, in legislation, you know, how has Cycle benefited from you know different government policy or legislation in these city, states, or, or the U.S. country as a whole?
0: I think it's I think it's primarily a, a narrative um, thing you could think about, as well as the. That extended producer responsibility that that I mentioned, I think that uh, tangibly, you know, puts more uh, responsibility on all parties in uh, that kind of recycling chain or, or the the chain of circularity t- um, to you know legally allow folks to participate and, and do their part. <clears throat> I think it's also uh, now talking about the U.S. I think that the more policy that you see that all stakeholders are you know happy with that's going to trickle down into back to the consumer. And at the end of the day, that's going to make, you know, more folks more sustainably conscious because right. We live in a, you know, capitalistic society where, you know, if, if that becomes important to the consumer as well, it's going to become important to the brands or vice versa. Right. Um, So that's uh, I think that's where I guess we've benefited and just the, the space has benefited as a whole is uh, making it, and then in, in allowing the consumer to say, "Hey, this is what's important to us," or the government saying, "Hey, this should be important," um, and then brands obviously responding um, and and making that making that initiative. So, I think that's probably where government has played a role for us. And um, last thing I'll say is that if you look at the reverse vending machine industry, you know, outside of uh, what we do, right? If you think about where it is in these bottle bill states, or if, or you think about where it is in Europe the government and that legislation actually allows for that, uh, this whole industry to exist, right? Because it's saying, hey, every single time, you know, you do that transaction with the container, you're going to get that five to 10 cents back. And then we're going to give, you know, a couple cents back to the retailer. And we're going to give, uh, you know, a portion of that back to the body that's actually going to be legislating this. So it almost allows for that whole um, industry to exist in uh, those primary markets. So uh, overall, I think, you know, It helps is the short answer
1: (laughs) i mean i was talking i'm I'm trying to remember the other day too about um, just the city of atlanta i was talking to this lady i think she is a consultant um, for sustainability and she was talking about you know how she's been trying to push a lot of legislation in atlanta Um, i can't remember where she said that she was from before and where she had lived but she had said that you know just so much easier to get people to recycle because of the legislation in place and it's kind of pushing people to do that so it's pretty crazy to think about, you know, who we elect and who's in office and who's making the decisions can really change everything. You know, they can yeah, really yeah. change, you know, how how people behave and how people react to things and what people deem as important and what people don't uh, deem as important. Um, so that's that that is that is something that's that, that's pretty mind boggling to me, and, and just with with how government and, and legislation works the next thing I would, I would ask is, you know, is there government contracts for, um, these RVMs? Is is that a thing?
0: Um, no, I mean, not, it depends on where you are. Right. So, um, that's, that's the short answer. It really depends on where you are. Like some, uh, European countries, it's, um, you know, if the state I guess is actually, uh, financing some of the programs, then there is, I guess that government contract. Um, but like I said, Typically, the legislation allows for the industry to exist, uh, you know, because then you have to have those public-private partnerships. So um, there are government contracts, but those mostly exist uh, overseas um, if in case the government is putting, you know, financing uh, some of those for like public, uh,
1: you know, drop-off depots, et cetera you know back to back to what you said a second ago with with you know people's perception and and people's opinion on sustainability and their ideas and really one thing that i didn't know until i started talking to some of these people in sustainability is the you know quote unquote greenwashing that is going on around I don't not just the U.S., but in general with sustainability and how companies will want different marketing words to use in, in their ads, you know, to, to show that they are eco friendly or um, sustainable or or that they're, that they're promoting social action and all these things. So, so the greenwashing whole thing is kind of put a negative shadow on, you know, companies like. Yours, I mean, not just yours, but companies that are actually doing good, good things. And that's that's what I hate to see, because, I mean, you're really doing something that's not just making an impact, but really creating a whole a whole system, you know, in place. And that will continue to grow. And um, this is something that could be in every major stadium. I mean, I I don't see why it wouldn't be.
0: Um, Yeah, I feel like when when push comes to shove, right, there's folks on the ground and we're we're trying to actually implement hard, you know, (laughs) Solutions that people can interact with uh, every single day to uh, reinforce that that message. And if if anything, um, you know, all of the containers that we've collected from you know x amount of people, those people now have that behavioral you know shift in their head that hey, you know this this action that I'm doing is a good thing. Um, and physically interacting uh, with you know sustainability is is something that I think is really key for. Um, just pushing the message overall, right? So um, I think boots on the ground and creating programs that actually folks can interact with and feel like they're doing the good thing—that's um, what's really important.
1: I, I definitely agree with everything that you just said. With that, I mean, I I was working at um, a corporation, a larger larger type company, and it was very difficult to you know push the sustainable, um, not narrative, but just sustainability in general. You know, creating. Programs from within, creating um, products from waste, creating all these things because for me, I wanted to be sustainable and I wanted to, you know, make a bigger impact than just money. And you know, a lot of these bigger companies, I feel like the whole goal is just make as much money as possible. But in reality, it's like we can do so much more. I mean, you, you can create so much value for, for people, create you know so much good. But it's kind of hard to in those large corporate settings to to get that message across when. It's just kind of always dollars that, that are appearing so companies like yours are are trying to kind of transfer that that mindset and, and transfer that whole that whole strategy of money is the only thing that's that's important because it's not um in the end, you have to make impact and you have to be able to you know create something and and leave something better than you found it
0: totally yeah I think it's you know at least if we're talking about the circular economy a lot of it at the fundamental level, it's resource conservation at minimum, right? So at the end of the day, it, that's going to have you know a, a better impact on the bottom line of these companies if they can get that resource back. So um, I think at the end of the day, at least as it relates to the circular economy, that is the tangible financial uh, difference that y- you try to make when you implement these programs, right? So um, in all types of circular economy uh, programs. So I would agree.
1: I mean, what would you say to, to a company, a large corporation that's saying, you know, you know, it sounds great. All this green stuff that, that you're pushing towards me sounds great and um, whatever, but we're not making money from it. It's not pushing products. So we're not interested in it. Um, we don't really care about, about the narrative or any of that. We just, we're not going to engage in it because it's not making us money. I mean, what well, what would you say to those companies that, you know, have that kind of mindset and, and what can they do to kind of shift that mindset that they have and, and, you know, make an impact because they're they're the ones that have all the resources to actually make a difference.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I would say, I would, you know, I would almost show them the data that, hey, you know, I would say even our generation or younger generations um, care a lot about sustainability, right? They, that's a big thing. You know, we did a, we did a program, we did a launch at uh, the city of Coral Gables a couple of weeks ago, and we had a, a a showing where we unveiled the machine. We talked about it. And the we talked to the kids about, hey, what do you guys know about recycling? And it was like very impressive. They they knew all about recycling. They knew what types of things you could put um, in the waste streams. So my my the punchline is, I think it's going to become so much more important. And you see consumers already making the sustainable choice just because of how they feel about it. Um, you know from just a value standpoint or whatever, whatever, you want to call it. I think at the end of the day, that's going to be the thing that allows for companies to stick around if their product or if their service has that uh, sustainability piece into it. Folks are going to, you know, choose that over the other uh, more so um, in the coming years. And, you know, if I were to ask you, you think, you know, Preston, 20 years from now, there's going to be more recycling or less recycling? Probably objectively more, right? Right. Is there going to be more electric cars on the road or less? Probably more. So or solar panels, whatever you want to say. So um, I think that I think it's the consumer at the end of the day is going to drive that change um, and and companies will see that uh, become more apparent when they have that product or service that they're putting out there.
1: Going from from large corporations and and large companies to actual individuals and and everyday people that are just living in the world. Obviously, every day that they can recycle that they can, you know, use your machines that they can do these things. But what is what are some other things that they can do every day to make a difference and kind of aid in a sustainable future?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a lot, right? So I think uh, energy is obviously a, a big thing outside of, you know, the circular economy discussion. I think energy is something that is going to become, you know, more of an issue um, or just kind of more front and center, um, you know, switching to sustainable options, right? I think now you can get solar panels that are, you know, producing, you know, one to two cent per kilowatt hour, like 20 years ago, that was never even going to be the case. Um, so I think just like being conscious around energy is, is really important. And if it does make sense, whether financially, uh, to have those, you know, those, those choices within your, um, within your, your everyday life or, um, you know, just creating the, just choosing the sustainable option, I think, um, and educating yourself and being, um, uh, participating in your, your governmental, um, actions or and see what you can do to, to vote in those types of. Uh, systems that are at the end of the day going to make our society and others uh, more sustainable. So I think just keeping your ears open and and just about sustainable initiatives is probably the best way to think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think too that you know just getting out in the world and and, and seeing and experiencing. I was I've been to Colorado. I've been to um, the Arizona type area, and the one thing I noticed in Colorado was all of the solar panels on the roof. You know, there's yeah. It's- like you keep driving and driving and driving and it's just solar panel after solar panel. And you're like, wow, you, you don't see the this in Georgia. You know, you, you don't <laughs> see that in, in these other states. You know, why is it different here? So and then in Arizona, uh, I mean, we were driving through some desert. I forget what it was. I mean, it's just wind turbine after wind turbine. And it was, it was crazy, crazy type thing of you just saw thousands and thousands of wind turbines. And I'm like, wow, I mean, in Georgia, where I am, you don't see these kind of things. So yeah, I mean, getting out and experiencing that, getting out of, getting out of your norm, um, which for me is in in Georgia and and seeing the world. I mean, it's just, it'll blow your mind. I I think on the West coast, especially, I mean, they do have um, socially conscious mindsets and and they are involved in creating a a stronger future, you know, for, for us and and for the world. So yeah, I mean, getting out and getting out of the environment and, and really experiencing it and seeing these things. I mean, I think it helps. I mean, it helped me um, just to see those things. Seeing like uh, what what the company App Harvest is doing in, in Kentucky. I mean, growing growing sustainable food, using an innovative process. I mean, it, it just kind of blows your mind. Um, aquaponics and all this stuff and, and what people create to create these better type systems for, for food and, and energy and, and all those things. But I think also, you know, companies like, you know, Tesla is um I, I forget if it's tesla or if it's a subsidiary of tesla that will come and install the um solar panels at your house you know having that is, is really cool too and having leaders that that have that mindset of let's do something good that's really um really cool so um i mean you kind of touched on it when you asked me um preston i mean do you think that there's going to be more cycling or less recycling you know more solar panels more electric cars so where do you see sustainability going in the next ten years? It's a hard, it's a hard question to kind of to kind of look out in the horizon for ten years. But, I mean, from from what you do, I mean, you're very involved in the industry. So, what do you see as some major kind of breakthroughs or innovations in the next ten years?
0: Yeah, to speak, I guess I'll start smaller and then and then go up. I just to speak to our industry more specifically. So, I think it was back in. 2000 and this is, this is not this figures from like 2019 or 2020 we work had gotten more funding than all recycling technology startups to date <laughs> in uh in 2019 or it was 2019 or 2020 my point is is that there isn't really a lot of uh money or there, there wasn't a lot of money that was going into these circular economy uh companies and initiatives um but I think, like as we've mentioned, as it becomes more commonplace and important to people, uh, important to companies, it's gonna, it's there's gonna be a, a boom. Um, and you see this even in go back to the solar panel discussion, solar panel recycling. You know, you never would have thought that you know all of these out of date solar panels that we're gonna be putting up on the roof. Well, someone's got to, uh, someone's got to go recycle those. And you see these companies that are now getting uh, funding from serious venture capital firms, um, getting you know Series A, Series B, late stage uh, for s- these sorts of activities. Um, I think that's going to become more important. And then I think the last thing around, you know, where is sustainability going? Um, I think that this whole idea and this whole, uh, I guess, framework of ESG, I think that, I think it came around and it's still a little bit in its infancy um, and how the regulators actually make sure uh, or or auditors make sure that companies are. Fully ESG responsible and what that really means, and then how that affects uh, the business. I think that you know it's still a little hard to to understand what place that will have. But you see, you know, even these massive financial institutions like BlackRock um, or any of these larger ones talking about you know their ESG goal. I think ten years from now that'll be uh, more matured and we'll have a very good idea as to how it actually. Makes financial sense. Um, makes financial sense for these companies to participate that in that, and how it makes sense for legislators to play in. Um, I guess the the last thing I will say is you know even you look at carbon offsets and where those have come right. You, a lot of a lot of folks are saying oh well those carbon offsets aren't real because they are they those are connected to some forest out and. Southeast Asia, and who knows if that forest is even uh, still still bringing in carbon or sequestering it? So uh, I, I think that th- those will become more mature as well in understanding how um, the carbon is actually bring you know coming back um, and sequestered. So, and I guess yeah. Last thing I'll say is you look at you know the X Prize with with Elon Musk and the amount of um, you know just even private. Uh, party, private uh, company initiatives that are that are coming out of out of everywhere, um, and really interesting technologies to solve that. I, I have a firm belief that the climate, you know, crisis, whatever you want to call it, the the whole uh, issue that we have around our planet right now, around sustainability, will be solved by uh, the private sector. And you see companies over the past five years uh, making that evident. So. That's kind of where I, I stand on it. As someone who studied the environmental science in college, I, I feel pretty optimistic about it. The whole debacle
1: of, you know, is is rising emissions doing anything? Is, is pollution doing anything? I mean, we're seeing it before our eyes. So yeah. um, it's no longer political talk. It's no longer anything, but, you know, this is what's happening. And I think a lot of people, whether you're, you're far right, far left, whatever you are, are starting to see that, you know, this is a thing and we need to start making better choices and, and making our, our lifestyles better so that we can keep living in this great world that we live in. Because, I mean, y- you look at some places, um, you know, outside of the U.S. and just the pollution and just the livelihood of people. I mean, you have all the, the air is contaminated. You have, it's just terrible living in, in these places. So I, th- I think it's just important for people, especially, you know, us in the U.S. and our, our generation to to have that mindset and to have that mindset of you know, I, I want to do more and I want to have a, a better world than we have right now. So, yeah, Anwar, I mean, I mean, that's about all I have. I'm, I, I greatly appreciate you coming on and um, I'll see if I can get with Arthur Blank um, with the with the Falcons and, and see if we can get a cycle machine in and uh, Mercedes Benz.
0: Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be uh, episode one or episode zero, whatever you call it, but um, no, I had a great time. Really. Thank you for the, the in-depth questions and um, I'm excited to, to hear, to see how this, how this grows and uh, maybe a couple years from now we can do a follow-up. First <laughs>